Good morning, church. My name is Colton, and I'll be reading our passage of Scripture today, which can be found in John. We're going to be reading chapter 8, verses 39 through 47. If you're looking in your pew Bibles, that will be uh, page 841. It'll be on the screen as well. John 8, starting in verse 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he has sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. This is God's word. Thanks, Colton. Good morning. Well, a little less than 10 years ago, I was preparing to move into a new house with several friends. And it was not a glamorous home by any stretch of the imagination, but it was enough. Before we moved in, we noticed that there were several light bulbs missing from the light fixtures. And when I say several, I mean 18. You can guess why I remembered that number, because it's so ridiculous. And we changed all of them. And when we did that not-so-great, yes, our ESL folks are dismissed. Sorry about that. (laughs) Jason's waving me out. And our kiddos, uh, four years old to, to kindergarten. Wow. I haven't been up here for a while. It's been like five months. I've been over there too long. So back to this gripping story, right? It's been a decade ago. We're we're in this house. There's all these light bulbs missing. We change all of these light bulbs, and this not-so-great-looking home turns into a pigsty. The additional light exposed all sorts of goodies left by the former tenants. The walls went from dimly lit white to a peculiar gray, coated with soot from the wood stove. The kitchen was a nightmare. The carpet was dark and endowed with stains left by the former tenant's pets. And it was only after we spent a few days using an industrial-grade carpet cleaner that we realized how dirty the carpet actually was. We thought, it's a wonder what a little light can do. 
The light revealed what was once in the dark. And it was a gift to see the true condition of the house. It showed us what needed to be done and ultimately led to a better home. In John 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the Lord of light who lights up the darkness of sin and death with the truth of his word. In verse 32, Jesus says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus offers freedom in the truth. But sometimes the truth hurts before it heals. The truth that frees us is a truth that exposes us. And sometimes the pain of seeing ourselves as we really are can be too much to bear. Sometimes we don't like the truth that Jesus offers to us. And when we don't like the truth, we often don't want it. Even more, we deny it. Or worse, fight against it. True belief in Jesus is costly. To believe in Jesus means letting go of who we think we are. Facing who we really are. And surrendering ourselves to his word of grace and truth. And as we reckon with and receive his truth, we find true freedom in the light of his loving gaze. And so let's just let the Lord shine his light on us this morning together. And as we do that, uh, let's ask for his help. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of God, You are present here among us, and we are thankful. Do what only you can do. Apply your word to our hearts. Liberate us. Liberate us from the things that we don't even realize that we're enslaved to. Free us that we might know your unmerited favor, your radical grace in the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. When Jesus comes to the Jews here in this passage, Jesus is pressing them toward true belief. And we'll see that he does that in two ways. Even as he does that with us, he he does it with us. He presses us toward true belief in two ways. Jesus opposes who we think we are, and he exposes who we really are. All with the light. Of his grace. Jesus, number one, Jesus opposes who we think we are. So as we said already in the service, we're coming to the close of our pastoral search, and the search team has sifted through many applicants, all of whom have one thing in common. They submitted a resume. It's customary when you apply for a job that you submit a resume, right? And I remember now three years ago, which is crazy to think about, I was going through the same process. I submitted a resume. And in my resume, I included where I went to school, my GPA, whatever that means, my perceived skill set, my work history, including all the details of the responsibilities that I had and the tasks that I completed. I submitted information of three people that would be references for me. I even wrote a cover letter 
with a detailed explanation of my passions and my hopes and my goals. In John 8, we might say that the Jews try to offer Jesus their resume. Who they think they are. And Jesus calls it into question in a way that they were not expecting. And spoiler alert, they don't get the job. But before we jump into our text, let's remember the context of all of John 8. Jesus is preaching good news. Specifically, good news of freedom from slavery to sin. He offers a word of promise to all those who would believe. But the Jews are offended by the truth. The truth of this promise of freedom because it implies that they're in bondage. It implies that they're worse off than they think. They believe their condition is not as dire as Jesus claims it to be. They believe they're free, so they argue with Jesus. Verse 33, they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Later in verse 39, they answered Jesus, Abraham is our father. The Jews argue their freedom by calling upon their family tree their ethnic bloodline. Abraham is their father. Who was Abraham? Abraham was the father of God's people. He was the initial initial recipient of God's covenant with the people of Israel. In Genesis 12, God says this to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God promised to bring blessing to a broken world through Abraham's descendants. The Jews claim to be Abraham's offspring. They believe they have the freedom of being full members in God's household. But Jesus says to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. What are these works that Jesus is talking about? What did Abraham do? What was the work that Abraham did in response to God's promise? He believed. In Genesis 15, God God continues his promise to Abraham, and we see what Abraham does. And God brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Verse 6, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. God chose Abraham to be his own, the father of his people. And Abraham welcomed God's word of grace. He believed the Lord and he was made a son by grace. Jesus is saying to the Jews, hey, you claim to be children of Abraham, but you're nothing like him. He took God at his word and yet you argue with him. He trusted in the Lord's grace, yet you cling only to your religious privilege. Rather than lobbying that they are like Abraham, they ditch Abraham then. Okay, that's not working. They ditch Abraham and claims to be sons of God. 
We have one Father, even God, they say in verse 41. And Jesus said to them, if, you, if God were your Father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Jesus opposes who they think they are by confronting them with who he is. Abraham received God's good word of promise that through his offspring the world would be blessed. And Jesus is saying that he's the fulfillment of that promise. He is the good word. The true word that has come from God to bring light to the world. And if God was truly their father, they'd love him. Or they'd welcome him. They'd accept him. Why don't they love him? Jesus says so in verse 43. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear my word. The gospel was deafening to the Jews. It pained their pride. And so they plugged their ears and shut their eyes to the light. To believe in Jesus means letting go of who they think they are. It means letting go of their religious pedigree and accepting that they're in deeper need than they realize. And Jesus also opposes who we think we are. One pastor said it this way, we, are too in, we too are inclined to believe the best about ourselves, not the truth about ourselves. We want to cling to the fact that we're okay on our own. That because of what we've done, who we know, where we've been, we can claim a place in God's family. We bring our resumes to Jesus, sometimes without even realizing it. You might say, yeah, I'm a Christian. My great-grandmother was a Christian. My grandmother was a Christian. My mother was a Christian. I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor, perhaps. I went to a Christian college, I worked at this or that ministry, I write sermons and lead worship at my church. None of these things say anything about whether you are a son or daughter of God. Just because, hear this, just because you come to church doesn't mean that you're free. Just because you come to church does not mean that you're a Christian as Jesus would define it. I know that's harsh, but that's what we're seeing here in this passage. Okay, maybe you would say uh, this, but, well, but I also don't swear. I don't drink too much. I don't look at pornography or sleep around. I give more than 10% to the church. I read my Bible and pray for an hour every morning, sometimes two. I preach the gospel to strangers dot, 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 fill in the blank. Maybe you would include other things in your resume. These things will not get you a seat at the Father's table. Maybe you've grown up hearing something other than that. None of those things will earn you a seat at God's table. None of those things are impressive to God. You can do all of it and remain blind to the light of the world. You can do all of it and not love Jesus or welcome his word. You can be close to all the right people. You can have all the right religious accolades, 
and still be enslaved. You can be enslaved to your own religious performance. That's what was true of the Jews. The very thing that the Jews looked to for freedom was the very thing that held them hostage in bondage. But you can be free. You can be free. All you have to do is believe, but it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your performance that you cling to to make you feel like you matter to God. It's going to cost you your own religious privilege. It's going to cost you your belief that you are not in that much need. Let go of all of those things. Let go of who you think you are. Let go of your resume and believe that Jesus is enough. His resume is more than sufficient to usher you into the family of God and to keep you there. Jesus opposes who we think we are. He also, number two, exposes who we really are. Now, in the backyard of my childhood home, we had an apple tree. Maybe you have been around apple trees. Uh, It was huge, at least it seemed that way when I was six. It produced a lot of apples, too many apples. It was actually quite annoying because I remember running through that portion of the yard like it was a minefield, watching my step to keep myself from smushing a rotten apple that had been sitting there for a few weeks. But our tree was reliable. It always produced apples. Nothing else. If a stranger saw our tree he or she would only have to look at the ground to see what kind of tree it was. They would know it was an apple tree by looking at its fruit. It only produced apples, not oranges, not mangoes, not olives. You will know a tree by its fruit. And the same is true with people. If you want to know a person, if you want to know who a person really is, their deepest beliefs, their deepest and truest allegiances and desires, look at the kind of fruit that they bear. And in John 8, Jesus exposes the true identity of the Jews by holding up the fruit that comes out of them. Jesus says in verse 37, I know that you're offspring of Abraham, that you're in the bloodline, and yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Verse 38, you do what you have heard from your father. 39, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth. Verse 41, you're doing the works your father did. We kind of left with a cliffhanger last week when we read You're doing the works that your father did. Who who is their father? Well, Jesus is uh, ushering the Jews in that direction. Not only do the Jews fail to believe Jesus, they oppose him. They fight him. Not only do they deny the truth, they set out to destroy the truth. Because the truth is too much to bear. 
They are not simply apathetic about Jesus. They're against him with a lethal tenacity. And in in their hostility, they show who they really are, where they really come from. Jesus says in verse 44, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus is calling them evil here. What do you think is evil? The hidden corruption of those in power? The trafficking and abuse of the vulnerable? The blatant perversion of what is holy? The slandering of the virtuous? The celebration of wrong? The distortion of the truth? The slaying of innocent life? Maybe there are things that come to mind as is true of me that I would rather not even name out loud, let alone ponder. Maybe you think of news headlines. Maybe you think of memories, experiences, past or, God forbid, present relationships. These are the things we feel viscerally, right? Yet sometimes we read Jesus' words to the Jews as less than appropriate. It's like, whoa, that's a little intense, Jesus. Sure, they were prideful, but demonic? Sure, they questioned Jesus, but are they really as evil as those who make the headlines today? Yes, and then some. They are deceivers manipulators, slanderers, abusers, distorters of the truth, celebrators of their own perversion, and ultimately murderers. They have called God a liar, just like the devil did in the garden. And they named the greatest good, the redeemer of the world, an evil man worthy of death. That is evil. They prove themselves to be of the devil who delights to twist the truth and hates the life that God has made. Jesus exposes who they really are by naming the evil of what they have done, what they're doing, and what they will do. But rather than surrendering to Jesus, as he is opening up for them to do, They harden themselves even more. The more he tells the truth, the more they are cemented in unbelief. The more they sit in church and hear the gospel and stand resistant to the gospel, the harder and harder they get. Verse 45 says, Because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Jesus exposed, again, the true identity of the Jews by showing the fruit of their lives. And that's what he does with us. 
in love, in love, he tells us who we really are. He shines his light on our deepest heart by exposing the discrepancy between what we claim to be and claim to believe and what our lives say we believe. For it's what we do in the day-to-day that reveals what we really love. We say that we love Jesus, but what does our life say? What do you believe? What do you truly believe is worth the cost? Worth the cost of your time, your energy, imagination. Think with me in the day-to-day, what do you spend your time being ravished by, being controlled by, being consumed by, finding delight in? What does your internet search bar say about what you love? What do your conversations naturally drift toward? Are you more excited by the word of your favorite cultural commentator than you are of a word from Jesus? Who do you identify with most significantly? Is it Jesus and your identity in him, your love for him, and the way that he helps you see everything else in the world properly? Or is it your political party? I am of this party or of this party. Is it your family? Maybe your hobby? Your career? Your academic pursuits? What do you spend your Saturdays doing? It is what you do that says what you really trust and love. What you truly believe is worth paying for. Don't blind yourself to what your life speaks. That's what Jesus is is urging us to do. Do you say you're a Christian and you really don't care much about Jesus at all? Or you come to church not because you love him, but you want to connect with people only. Pay attention. Attend to the word of God this morning. Don't presume on your identity as a Christian if someone could look at your life and see the same thing as they would in the life of someone who is entirely uninterested in Jesus or even hostile to him. Now, if you are in Christ Jesus, this is not condemnation on you. If you are in Jesus Christ we can receive the revealing love of Jesus as his kind conviction. Even in Jesus Christ, we still have caves of unbelief in our hearts. Disordered loves. We don't believe Jesus is enough sometimes. We resist submitting to his authority as the Lord or trusting him as the light of our world, the light that's going to, to radiate into our darkness But Jesus wakes us up to our own hypocrisy. He says, you say you love me, but your life says that you care much more about your own success, your own power, your own approval, or comfort, pleasure. And I just say, just a note, I hope you know that your pastors also war with unbelief in our hearts. With you, we want to let 
Jesus expose who we really are so that he might make us what we are not, namely, like him. Regardless of who you are, you can know the light of Jesus. And you can know that the light of Jesus is not meant to purely sear you, but to save you. He shines his light on you, not ultimately to harm you, but to heal you. For if we step back and look at his conversation in John 8, we can see that even as the Jews rejected Jesus, opposed Jesus, Jesus loved them. He loved them enough to speak the truth to them. Jesus knew who they were. Jesus knew what they would ultimately do, and yet he still poured himself out for them. He loved them enough to subject himself to their evil. All the way to the cross. And in the cross, Jesus shows us who he really is by what he is willing to do. What he was willing to give to make sinners his own. In the cross itself, Jesus confronted the Jews with his grace. And he does the same to us. He shows us who we really are. As one pastor said, a beloved pastor, a pastor who's been ministering for decades, who recently passed away this weekend, he says this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. In Jesus Christ, your place in God's family could never be gained by your resume, by what you do, and what you do could never, if you are in Christ, it could never cast you out of his family. All you have to do is take Jesus at his word. Let go of who you think you are. Accept the truth that he's speaking to him, to you, and receive his grace. Well, I'm going to invite the band back up, and it's fitting for us to come to this family table of communion. The Lord's table calls us to pay attention, to attend to the light of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And we're invited to face the reality of who we, who we are, to face the reality of our need before Jesus, and to face the reality of who he is. We're invited to receive the good news that if you are in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven, you are loved, you are welcomed, and you're secure in his love. So we're going to enter into communion, and, and just a few comments before we do that. Uh, if you are in Jesus Christ, if you are um, coming here, uh, confessing your sins to the Lord and receiving his grace, we, we welcome you to come do this. But if you're investigating Jesus, or, or maybe even if this sermon uh, calls you to, to really question things about, you know, why am I really here? Do I really love Jesus? I just invite you to, to pause on coming up, and we would love to minister to you. Um, yeah, but this is a table for uh, those who, who love Jesus and who desire to receive his word. 
Um, I would also invite our servers up and just a few uh, in instructions so that the Clancy's could come on up and the Spinney's. Just a few instructions. Uh, we'll stand up and we'll come down the aisle here and receive the elements. And uh, if you would just hold on to those, uh, the, the bread and the juice, and we will take it together uh, after that.